Hey, everybody, and welcome to season two of the All About Everest podcast. And I'm your host, Pauline Reynolds Nuttall. On this podcast, you can get anything and everything about Mount Everest, including interviews, book recommendations, tips, updates, and a whole lot more. So welcome to the spring 2023 Everest climbing season. And here we go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the All About Everest podcast. And today's topic is how to choose a guide service for climbing Mount Everest or any mountaineering expedition. This is a huge topic that has been coming up again and again. I see articles that pop up. It's a common theme asked in a lot of the mountaineering groups that I belong to. You guys also know that I've been pretty vocal about how I think that the mountaineering guides and the expedition companies, ultimately, a lot of the deaths are on them uh, because it's their responsibility to make sure that their clients are safe and it comes down to the decisions that they make. We saw that last year in 2023 during the spring season on Mount Everest, a lot of people died, but it wasn't even that. It was people were abandoned by their guiding companies. And so ultimately, it really matters who you choose based on your experience to take you to the top of Mount Everest. The biggest reason why I have brought this up, though, is because I have seen in the last couple of months there's a particular person, I won't mention names, who has offered their services as a mountaineering guide on Everest and on K2. It is very concerning to me because they have absolutely zero credentials. They have not gone through any of the IFMGA stuff. They don't work, they, they're not they do not belong to any expedition company. Uh, really, I, I'm not sure how they're proposing their services, but it's really concerning to me because they don't have that guiding experience. And when it comes to mountaineering guides, there's classes that you have to take. There's tests that you need to pass or you should take and you should pass and certifications because it's one thing to be a participant in an expedition and be the mountain climber. It's another thing to be the actual guide because anyone under you, any clients, they rely on you to help make the decisions. The other reason is in one of my mountaineering groups, probably about two or three weeks ago, there was a person that was trying to get other people onto her expedition team to drive down her price. And her price was only $30,000, which that isn't necessarily a bad thing when you're going with a cheaper company. Because if they're really good guides and they're local, and there are several 
that are absolutely amazing, it might be the right fit for you. But there was so much concern in our group that this person ha maybe hadn't done her research or that maybe she was going with a company that doesn't have much experience, doesn't have the certifications, because obviously there's that stigma, the cheaper it is, you know, maybe the service isn't as good, which that's not necessarily true. And so, I mean, there were hundreds of comments within an hour to the point where the moderators had to shut off the comments in the Facebook group because so many people were concerned. When I had my interview with Alan Arnett, we ultimately discussed a little bit of how to pick an expedition company and guides, but we didn't get too much into it. I do know that Alan Arnett, he has a consultant service where ultimately he connects climbers with expedition companies and gives them recommendations based on their experience and helps them get to where they need to be at. And we had discussed that, you know, if you have X number of years of experience and you've climbed 15 times 8,000 meter peaks, and I'm just throwing out that number, then maybe you could go with an outfit that's you know, a little bit cheaper based on your experience. It just really depends. And so I thought it was very important to talk about this topic and make some just suggestions about what people need to look for when they are choosing an expedition company and a mountaineering service. All right, really quick before I get to the rest of the episode, I wanted to thank everyone that has reached out to me since the October 7th attacks in Israel where 1,400 people died and 240 people were taken hostage by Hamas to the Gaza Strip. And if you didn't know, those 240 civilians that are being kept hostage, they come from all over the world including a Nepali citizen by the name of Bipin Joshi. He is a Nepali student that was working and living in Israel at the time. Ten of his classmates and friends also from Nepal died, and he is currently held hostage. In fact, there was a video that popped up a couple days ago um, in the media. It was from the Shifa Hospital in the Gaza Strip. And he was one of the hostages in one of those clips. I believe there were two or three that have been making their rounds. And anything that has to do with Nepal or Tibet, a lot of the times I will bring it up on the podcast because it is essentially re relevant to Mount Everest most of the time. Um, kind of Everest-related, but not quite. There was a young Israeli man that was going to climb Mount Everest during this fall season. He was actually on his way trekking to EBC when he was contacted by the Israeli government, flown by helicopter, and sent back to Israel with less than 24 hours because his country needed him. Uh, he had just been released from his military service 
and essentially he didn't have to go, but he, when they asked him, he went. I would love to interview him. Chances are I never will um, because what he does is very elite, but I commend him for giving up on his Everest journey and his Everest summit bid. I doubt he'll get his money back because he's a patriot and he chose to serve his country. So again, thank you to everyone for reaching out to me. I greatly appreciated it. I've re-recorded this segment of the podcast probably 500 times because I didn't want it to sound political at all, but I wanted to express my opinion and my appreciation to everyone that reached out. I also got hate mail. I got some pretty nasty hate mail um, that may or may not have been Nazi-ish oriented. Uh, never gotten hate mail before regarding the podcast. I've gotten nasty comments, but never hate mail. So I appreciated that as well. But again, thank you everyone for reaching out. And now for the rest of this episode. So today's episode is how to choose an expedition company for your Everest expedition. Now, disclaimer here, I have no intentions of climbing Mount Everest. I've done a lot of research, though, on some of the questions that you should ask a guiding company, as well as some tips in finding the right one for you. It depends on who they are. It depends on who you are. Someone who has 20, 30 years experience may not need the same company as, say, someone who only has two years experience. So it really matters what questions you ask and what you're looking for in an expedition company. Alan and Arnett and I had talked about it when we did the interview and we did talk about his consulting service because that's what he does is he does help people find the right expedition company for them. But if you're going to shop for one on your own, then these tips and questions could be extremely helpful. Ultimately, it's up to you who you choose and how you choose them. The first question that you should ask is how many years has the expedition company been operating and how many years have they been operating on Mount Everest? It's really important to ask that because maybe they've been in business for 20, 30 years, but they don't have a lot of Everest experience. There are companies that have been exclusively on Mount Everest. There are companies that have 30, 40 years experience on Mount Everest. That is really something that should be asked and should be one of the very first questions is how many years has your company been active and how many years have you guys been guiding expeditions on Mount Everest? The second question that you should be asking is what is their success rate? Now, the success rate should always be questioned and taken with a grain of salt because 
What does success mean to them? Adrian Bollinger from Glow and I talked about it and to him, and he said that this was also when he was working with Russell Bryce from Hymex, was the success rate was no fatalities. It didn't necessarily mean success all the way to the top of Mount Everest. It meant that nobody died and no one was horrifically injured. So always ask a company what their success rate is and how they define their success rate. That's really something that should be questioned. I find it a little weird when some of these companies say, oh, we have a 100% success rate. Well, but five of your people died last year or five of your people had horrific frostbite and they all lost their fingers and toes. So again, ask them what their success rate is and how they define it. The third question that you should ask is, which route does this company prefer to take on Mount Everest, the north one or the southern one, and why? There are some companies that exclusively climb from the north, there's some that exclusively climb from the south, and there's some that do both north and south for their expeditions. It is important to ask, though, which one they choose and why, because there are some reasons why someone would choose the northern side versus the southern side and vice versa. For example, one of the biggest reasons that some people will choose the northern side over the south is that many people consider it safer because there's no Kumbu ice fell. The Kumbu Icefall is extremely dangerous. You have to traverse that. And as you're acclimatizing, you're traversing it multiple times. It's considered, besides the death zone, the most dangerous place on Mount Everest. And it's only on the south side. It's not on the north. One of the other reasons is that the northern side is considered a lot cleaner because China is much more strict when it comes to trash and regulation. And also the politics, if you will, or the regulations that each side has. China, when it comes to Tibet and climbing in Mount, on Mount Everest, they have much higher standards. And not only do they have higher standards, and higher policies, they regulate them so much better than the policies and rules that are in Nepal. It's easier to get a permit in Nepal than it is in China. However, in China, they have higher standards when it comes to giving someone a permit. So that really is something that should be considered when you pick an expedition company. Question number four. Always ask what experience an expedition leader and guide has and what their certification is. 
as I had mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, there are people out there that are offering guiding services. They've never guided before. They have very little experience or they have lots of experience as a client, but not as a guide. And they have zero certifications. And because of certain loopholes, without saying too much, they can get away with it, which is not okay. And you really need to ask about those things because, and I compare it to a commander in the military, what experience do they have? What classes have they been through? Is this someone that you can trust your life with? Because ultimately, up there on the mountain, they're the ones making the decisions. And they're the ones that know the safest way to get you up there and back. And so always, always, always question their certification, question their experience. And just because someone has climbed Mount Everest 20 times, maybe they've never guided. Maybe they have taken zero classes and zero certifications. Just because you've climbed that many times, that doesn't give you the leadership qualifications and those decision-making tools to keep your clients safe. And that should be one of the most important questions that you ask. Question number five, ask them what experience do they require from their clients? Do they expect their clients to have 6,000 meter experience, one or two mountains, at least two 8,000 meter peaks before they climb Mount Everest? Remember, there are 14, 18, or there are 14 8,000 meter peaks and Everest is the tallest. So there's other ones that people choose to climb to get that experience in before they climb Mount Everest. Have they climbed in North America? Is their experience just in Colorado in the 14,000ers, you know, 14,000 feet peaks? Have they climbed exclusively just in South America? Have they climbed in the Alps? Do they have other Himalaya experience? And do they require that? Because what they have found is when people don't have as much experience as others in their group, it not necessarily can lead to fatalities, but it can be risky for the other team members and also for the expedition leaders. Question six, how do they acclimatize their clients for Mount Everest? One of the things that wasn't really talked about but was brought up by a lot of people during the spring 2023 season on Mount Everest was that a lot of people felt completely off the record, and I'm not really sure why, a lot of people felt that the acclimatizing routine was rushed, that possibly they didn't have enough time to acclimatize properly, that there were shortcuts 
that were taken, which ultimately led to some of the deaths and to many of the injuries that occurred. It is very important that you ask this question because if you do not acclimatize properly, it could possibly lead to your death. Just because you have a high altitude tent at home that you've been sleeping in for the last six months every single night, that doesn't necessarily mean that you will acclimatize properly before climbing Mount Everest. It's really important that your body is used to that altitude and that you've done it properly. Yes, there are companies that have a regimen that's a little bit different than the whole trekking to EBC over the span of, you know, 10 to 14 days, going up and down Mount Everest, sleeping at the higher camps. You know, it's an eight-week process. There are those that do skip that. What do they do instead? How safe is it? You should really ask those questions because altitude sickness is no joke. People die. It is one of the leading causes of death on Mount Everest. You've got the Kumbu Ice Fell. You've got avalanches, falls, and altitude sickness. So ask them what they what their regimen is for acclimatizing for Mount Everest. Gosh, I feel like I need to laugh for a second here because I feel like I'm lecturing and I'm not trying to come across as lecturing at all. It's more like I want people to be informed and educated and it really, really gets to me. Um, again, some of these people out there touting their guiding services that have zero experience. Alrighty, next question after I laughed a little bit and kind of shook out the soap boxiness, or at least I hope that. Ask what the guy to client ratio is and the Sherpa to client ratio is as well. We've noticed in the last couple of years that the Sherpa to client ratio is a lot higher than it used to be. It's anywhere between 0.5 to 2.5 per person and ask why the ratio is that way. That is very important. Uh, do they expect the Sherpas to haul you up to the top? Or are they just there to support and help guide you? That's really important too. There's so much controversy about having such a high Sherpa to client ratio. I think this last year, the record, it was about 2.5 per one. And that is really high. I don't think it's ever been that high before. Ellen has the stats. He does that every year. But ask them why and how many. That's very important to ask. The next question should be, what, what do they think about oxygen? What uh, do they provide oxygen? And most of the companies obviously do. It's usually included in the price. But also, do they run high oxygen, low oxygen? Do they start oxygen at EBC? 
camp one, camp two, what is their policy on oxygen and how they use it? Because that information can also help you understand the quality of the guiding service. That is also very important. And when you're asking about their oxygen policy and how they implement it into the expedition and when, you should also ask if Sherpa and guides also use oxygen. A great example was um, during the 1996 Everest disaster, one of the guys was Anatoly Bukrev. He refused to use oxygen at the time. And many people think that if he had used oxygen, the fatalities would have been a lot less because, and again, this is all assumption, but a lot of people who were there have mentioned that if he had been using oxygen and had been using oxygen the whole time, less people may have died because ultimately he was responsible as a guide for many of those climbers and he was more of a hindrance based on a lot of um, eyewitnesses who were there and he was very, very confused a lot of the time. The next question is very important and I believe it's a question that's not often asked. And that is, which, if any, type of medical training has any of the guides had or any of the Sherpas? And is there a des designated physician employed by the expedition company? One of the most important things when you're in the backcountry or away from civilization, it's to know how to deal with basic illness and injuries. And on Mount Everest, there's very unique ones like frostbite or altitude sickness, exhaustion, things like that. And it's good to know if the guides and the Sherpas that you're going to be working with, if they know how to recognize those illnesses as well as distribute first aid needs and things like that. Another question which is often overlooked is what are the logistics at base camp? Do they utilize weather forecasting services? What are their radio communication services like? How do they manage everything at base camp? Really, it comes down to those little teeny tiny details and you can tell a lot about a company based on how meticulous they are and what their attention is to detail. It's not a question that most people would necessarily pay attention to, but if you're looking at a company and they can't even answer your basic questions like that, you know, that may raise a red flag. Always, 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 ask if the company has had any Sherpa or client fatalities and why. How did it happen? Why did it happen? And what have they done to prevent deaths moving forward? As we all know, death is a likelihood on Mount Everest. It happens. It's just the nature of the beast. However, 
you should want to know what the company has done since, if they've had any fatalities, to prevent it from happening again. Another question that is extremely important is how many how many people have summited on their teams and for those who didn't summon what was the reason was it because of weather was it because of sickness was it because the climbers lacked experience don't forget to ask detailed questions about the price not only should you ask what's included in the price that they're asking, but also ask why they set their price at that price point. Why are they cheaper or more expensive than other expedition companies? And don't, don't feel bad asking them to compare themselves to other guiding companies. Another question that may not seem important, but especially with all of the trash on Mount Everest that is accumulating, you should want to ask what their policy is regarding trash and waste and the leave no trace principles. And last but not least, even though this isn't necessarily a question, talk to their former clients. Ask them if they would go with this expedition company again. Look at the testimonies. Do your research online. Give them a goog. Ask about these companies in any of the mountaineering groups that are out there because there's tons of mountaineering groups there's ones that are specifically for people who are considering climbing Mount Everest, have climbed Mount Everest, or are just like me, just love knowing what's going on. But don't be afraid to ask those hard questions. I know that a lot of the times people try to be nice and loyal to their expedition companies, even when things go wrong. But most of them, when you ask them one-on-one, -on -one, will be completely honest about what went wrong, if anything, and they will tell you if they would consider going with this company again. There are people that have been with the same company on expeditions all over the world again and again, and there are some that they will hop from company to company and that's okay too but find the one that works for you and the one that will answer your questions the minute they don't answer your questions or they kind of fudge a little bit that should raise red flags for you to do more research all right, guys, that is it for today's episode. I hope that this episode has been helpful for those who are thinking of climbing Mount Everest and those who will be climbing Mount Everest. It's really important to ask those hard questions because ultimately the expedition companies and how they're run and who their guides are, 
they're the ones that will lead to your success or your failure on Mount Everest. And ultimately, they hold the lives of their clients in their hands. And so they shouldn't get offended or angry when you do ask those hard questions. And it means that you can trust them. If I were to climb Mount Everest today, I would definitely go with a company, probably one of the ones that we have or that I have interviewed the owners for on this podcast because not a single one of them have shied away from the hard, difficult questions. They've answered them all, the good, the bad, the ugly. They've been pretty open about it. So I would ultimately choose one of them because, again, they didn't shy away from any of those difficult questions. Until next week, you guys, climb your own climb and have a fabulous weekend. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the All About Everest podcast. We would love it if you would rate, subscribe, and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find us on social media at All About Everest Podcast or at Mama Bear Outdoors. You can support our podcast by subscribing to our Patreon or by buying us a coffee. Until next time.